tonight uh, the talk is on compassion. Now if we look into the dictionary, uh, compassion, the word compassion uh, means uh, being moved by the suffering of others uh, and wanting to help alleviate or reduce the suffering. Uh, so in other words, there is suffering and then we want to help other beings. Uh, now this word uh, is uh, quite closely associated with another word. Now, this word compassion in uh, Pali is karuna and it is uh, quite closely associated with metta. Metta or loving kindness means uh, kindness in our actions, speech and thought to others. In other words, uh, we want to uh, make others happy. So in the absence of suffering, we want to give happiness to other beings. So it's slightly different. Compassion is uh, there is suffering and we want to help. And in loving kindness, when there is even no suffering, we want to give happiness. It's more positive. Now, Buddhists are well known for being compassionate or being harmless uh, or harming any beings. Uh, right? uh, but unfortunately, uh, it is not so well practiced. Uh, and uh, we find uh, that Christian love uh, is quite well known because a lot of Westerners, uh, they go out of their way uh, to help other beings, uh, even animals. Uh, right? Uh, but actually, when we compare uh, Christian teaching and our Buddhist teaching, uh, our Buddha stressed on compassion even and loving kindness uh, even much more than Jesus. In the Bible, Jesus said, uh, if somebody slaps you on the right cheek, he turned the other cheek for him to slap. <laughs> That's pretty difficult to do, and uh, most Christians won't do it. <laughs> uh, but uh, in the Suttas, uh, in the Kakachupama Sutta, the standard the Buddha gave uh, is even higher. The Buddha said, uh, if you are caught by bandits uh, and they saw away your arms uh, with the two handles long saw, they saw away your arms and your legs. Uh, and if on that occasion uh, you got angry, uh, then you are not practicing the Buddha's teachings. That's even more difficult, isn't it? <laughs> uh, so, in other words, uh, the Buddha is trying to tell us uh, that uh, we should have loving kindness towards all beings, uh, no matter what. Uh, and this uh, we can only practice uh, if we understand the law of karma vipaka, that whatever we get uh, is what we deserve, nothing more, nothing less. Uh, so we understand the law of karma vipaka. Whatever comes to us, uh, good or bad, we accept it. Uh, especially bad, uh, because it's very difficult to accept uh, suffering. But we should bear in mind that if we don't accept uh, the suffering that comes to us now, it will come to us later. So that is uh, uh, accepting uh, karma. Now we must differentiate uh, 
Buddhist compassion, um, the compassion practiced by other teachings, uh, external set teachings. Because our Buddhist compassion uh, is always with wisdom. It always comes with wisdom. If you want to practice compassion, uh, you have to uh, practice it with wisdom. Uh, wisdom is a very important factor. Uh, otherwise, uh, you are not practicing uh, uh, really beneficial compassion. So the Buddha uh, mentioned in the suttas uh, how external sect ascetics uh, practice uh, the various external sect practices uh, and among them uh, he mentioned uh, the compassion practices of the external sect um, ascetics uh, for example the Buddha said uh, if an external sect ascetic uh, goes on pinnabai arms round uh, and he's about to accept food uh, from somebody and then he sees a lot of flies around uh, and then he thinks to himself uh, but this is not mentioned uh, he probably thinks to himself uh, that um, if he accepts the food, no, then the flies will not have enough food to eat. No. So he refuses to accept the food no, upon seeing the flies and he walks away. And then on another occasion, when he's about to accept the food, no, he sees dogs around. Also, he refuses to accept the food and walks away, uh, probably for the same reason no, that he eats things uh, by accepting this food, uh, the dogs will not have enough food to eat. Uh, and then another time, if he's about to accept food from a woman uh, who is suckling her baby, and then uh, he sees that and he refuses to accept, uh, probably thinking that the baby may not have enough milk to eat. Uh, so this uh, is uh, practicing compassion without wisdom. Uh, and then uh, maybe surprising to some people, the Buddha also so mentioned among the practices of external ascetics, uh, vegetarianism, that they refuse to accept uh, meat and fish. Uh, so this may be a bit hard for some people to understand, but uh, I will try to explain uh, later. But uh, we can see uh, that external ascetics uh, sometimes they practice vegetarianism uh, overboard, uh, sort of over the, the, the hill, like these Jains uh, or Nikandas. Many years ago, uh, when I was a young uh, university student, I had a friend who, who later married, uh, and then uh, the father-in-law was a doctor from Burma. Uh, but in his young days, uh, he uh, practice in India and he said uh, that he was called to a house one day to see an old lady and when he went into the house it was apparent to him uh, that this was a rich family and when he examined this old lady he found that she was suffering from malnutrition so he asked the son uh, what food do, does your mother eat and then the son said we are vegetarians then he thought to himself, well, vegetarians don't have to be suffering from malnutrition. So he asked his son, what exactly does your mother eat? And the son said, uh, we take vegetables. Then he asked the son, what type of vegetables? Then the son went to the bank and brought some vegetables to show him. Actually, stale, already stale vegetables, no more green. 
because to them, uh, to some people in India, plants, including vegetables, uh, have life. So uh, when they are green, uh, they they are they have life. So they thought uh, that it's not compassionate to take life. So green vegetables and fresh fruits we cannot eat. <laughs> so they go to that stage uh, where they suffer from malnutrition. Uh, so uh, that is uh, the genes. So what is Buddhist compassion? In our Buddha's teachings, uh, the Buddha stressed uh, that all his followers uh, should keep the precepts. Uh, and the lay people, uh, initially the Buddha taught that lay people should keep seven precepts. Uh, later it was modified to five. Uh, and these seven precepts uh, are three precepts concerning the body and four concerning speech. And uh, the aim of these uh, precepts uh, is to not to harm other living beings. So like the seven precepts, uh, the first precept uh, is not to kill, not, in, not to intentionally kill any living being because uh, life uh, is the most precious thing to any living being. You can understand uh, if somebody wanted to buy your life, say for 100 million US dollars, <laughs> would you be willing to sell your life or even a billion US dollars? Uh, you, you won't, right? Uh, so, if you take somebody's life, uh, that person will not forgive you, uh, especially human beings. Uh, human beings know how to think. So if you are murdered, probably you think if I become a ghost, I'll come and haunt him. <laughs> so as far as other beings concerned, they might not have this thought to take revenge, but still they have a lot of hatred for you. So in the future lifetimes when we meet, and you meet this being, this being will create problems for you. That's why some people, they find a lot of obstacles in their life because they don't have enough loving kindness and compassion towards other beings. So the second precept uh, is not to take what is not given, what does not belong to us. Uh, we don't want to take. And we find this uh, not only practiced in Buddhism, even in Islam and Christianity. I was told that there are certain areas in China where the Islam is very strong. If you drop some, something on the ground, money, even money, uh, it will not be stolen. It will be either taken up and pinned on the wall or on the tree or something. Uh, and the people there, they, they, they are quite secure and safe. Uh, they sleep with their doors unlocked, their windows unlocked. Mm. So when people have precepts, uh, then everybody is safe and secure. Uh, so this is the second precept. Now if we take what is not given to us and then the natural result of it is that in future people will also take your things and will steal your things. That's why some people when they employ uh, workers and mates, their things tend to get stolen. And now the third precept is not to commit adultery, sexual misconduct. If you do that, then you're likely to be reborn as an animal. Even as an animal, uh, you probably get castrated. Uh, it was mentioned by an Arahan Bikuni, 
as he contemplated her past life and the Terikata verses of the Arahans. So there are these three bodily precepts and then verbal precepts not to lie, not to carry tales to cause disharmony. For example, you hear A talking of B. You don't go and tell B, you know, last night A said such and such a thing, and then he caused A and B to quarrel. So we promote harmony, not disharmony. The third verbal precept is not to use coarse speech, rough speech, vulgar speech and all that. Because if you use that, people get angry with you. And then even if you try to teach, people will not accept and the fourth precept is uh, fourth verbal precept is not to engage in idle gossip. Uh, so these seven precepts uh, were taught by the Buddha so that we do not harm other living beings. Uh, so there is the uh, first thing about uh, Buddhist compassion. And we find uh, in the monk's precepts uh, that um, the monk has so, so much more precepts to keep, uh, 227 precepts. Uh, and some of them uh, we may think are very minor, for example, not to dig the ground that has life. Because uh, if we dig the ground, uh, sometimes we cut the worm, uh, or the, uh, cut uh, all types of worms and insects and uh, white ants, etc., in the ground. So we cause suffering to them. And also, but if there's no life in the ground, a monk can dig, for example, sand, stone, clay soil uh, without any life uh, and also like cutting plants and trees uh, not because they are they have life actually originally the Buddha did not uh, make this precept and then uh, some of the other people uh, who belong to other religions uh, they got angry with Buddhist monks uh, for doing that uh, because they thought that plants have life so the Buddha made this precept uh, to to destroy uh, plant life. But then the Buddha also said uh, that plant life uh, is the abode uh, for fairies, uh, tree uh, spirits. Uh. There are spirits that live in the trees uh, and they live in different parts of the trees. Uh. The Buddha said there are some that like to live in the leaves, there are some that like to live in the flowers, there are some that like to live in the branches. There's some that like to live on the bark of the tree. There's some that like to live in the heart of the tree, hardwood. And some like to live in the roots of the trees. And they kind of uh, belong to different groups. So when the tree is small, the prob- the, it's most likely that the fairies are small. So when you destroy small trees, there's no consequence. But now and then, sometimes people cut down big trees and they suffer. As a monk, people come and tell me their problems. And sometimes I hear, they say, I've got this old mango tree at the back of my house. It's already old, not bearing fruit, so we ordered it be cut. And as a result of that, sometimes they experience accidents. Sometimes they get sick. And the worst case, I was told, was this lady who cut down that old mango tree and uh, became um, mentally deranged. Mm. So, uh, you can see uh, that uh, 
there are a lot of spirits around us uh, that we don't see with the human eye. But because the Buddha could see, uh, then the Buddha said uh, we should uh, be careful. It's not that you cannot cut down the tree, but uh, if you need to cut down the old mango tree, uh, then uh, you should uh, pay respect to it uh, and tell the spirit that stays in the tree that you intend to cut it down, say, in three days or seven days' time and give it time to go and look for another tree to go and stay. Uh, <laughs> uh, in order to move house, like, even you, if you want to move house, so you have to look for a house, a uh, suitable house to stay. Uh, so if we give them that type of respect, uh, then they are happy, uh, at least uh, uh, give them a bit of face. Uh, so <laughs> they are also like us. Uh, so then they don't harm you. Uh, so monks' uh, precepts, uh, they, we have much more precepts uh, in order not to harm uh, living beings. Uh. That's why monks are supposed to be very harmless. Uh, actually, the code of conduct for monks is very high. Uh, of course, for some monks, they don't study the suttas, and don't study the vinaya, and they don't uh, understand. For example, the monks are supposed to get angry also if somebody gets angry with you, and it's pretty hard to practice. <laughs> But uh, over the years, uh, if a monk trains uh, in the uh, suttas and the vinaya, then uh, year by year he improves. That's why the Buddha calls the spiritual path uh, a gradual training. Uh, when a monk disrobes, uh, the Buddha says uh, he forsakes the training. Uh, so that is a uh, concerning precepts. Uh. Then the second one uh, is the Buddha said that we should practice metta. Uh, metta means uh, to be uh, be kind in our actions, in our speech, in our thoughts and to all other beings. And to be kind to others, um, we also not only should be kind inside, but we should also be seen to be kind. In other words, our body language, our, our verbal language, people can sense, right? So, but then of course also uh, uh, we should use wisdom also uh, because uh, if you are too kind, uh, people climb over your head, right? <laughs> so, uh, like for example, the Buddha, he sometimes quoted these monks, those who uh, did not uh, practice according to the teachings uh, or who acted in foolish ways. Uh, the Buddha would call them uh, foolish men, stupid men. <laughs> So there's this uh, story, uh, sometimes we read uh, in the Buddhist magazine uh, one, uh, about this uh, Naga. Naga is a fierce uh, serpent, a uh, snake spirit. So initially he used to be so fierce uh, that he would kill human beings and all that. So one day the monk went up the hill and then we sort of uh, taught him the Dhamma until uh, he... He learned to practice the Dhamma. So he thought he wanted to practice loving kindness. So whenever people came, he did not harm uh, all the human beings that, that passed by his hill. Because uh, this is Nagas, uh, even these uh, big snakes in, in the hills, uh, they, they have their area uh, where they stay. Uh, and they don't like human beings to come intrude upon their area. Because human beings come, uh, they cut the trees, uh, clear the land, uh, all that, and they find, they find it very difficult to find food. Uh, 
So when human beings came near him, uh, he stopped uh, killing them right, very fiercely. Uh. So the village boys came and, and found that he was changed. Uh. So they started to tease him. And they were surprised also he didn't uh, kill them or belch out his smoke and all this. Uh. So they went nearer and they, he still did not react. And they started to take stones and throw at him. And he uh, did not react. He went to take sticks and beat him until he became bloody. Yeah. Then he went to complain to the old monk. See, you asked me to act like this. See, I act like this. See the consequence? <laughs> and the old monk told him, I told you not to kill living beings. And I did not say you cannot belt your smoke. <laughs> but sometimes uh, people too much. Uh, sometimes we have to show our anger. Uh, because uh, later I mentioned Buddha says, uh, sometimes we use the soft way, it doesn't work, uh, we need to use the hard way. So that is a meta, but to be tinged with wisdom. Third one is charity, or dana, generosity. Uh, helping others basically, like giving what other people need. Uh, most of the time it's probably material things like food, money and all that, but not only this, but sometimes some people need kind words when they are suffering. You need to console them, so you speak some kind words to them. Sometimes some friend is sick, then we need to visit them to show our sympathy. Sometimes somebody has a, a loss, for example, the son or the daughter passed away, and then we need to go and see them, console them, or take them out to forget, etc. And of giving, uh, the highest gift, the Buddha says, uh, is the giving of the Dhamma. Uh, because the Dhamma benefits us the most. Uh. Basically, every living being, the Buddha says, uh, needs food, uh, needs food to survive. Uh. Uh, this may sound strange to, 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 to us. Uh. Even devas also, uh, heavenly beings, uh, also they need food. Uh. Even hell beings also need food. All beings are ghosts, all beings uh, need food to survive. So, if somebody comes to you uh, and he needs food, so you give that person food. But then, uh, tomorrow he's hungry again, he comes to you again, and you have to give him food again. And the day after, he comes to you, and you keep giving him food. Of course, if you can do it for the rest of your life, it's okay. But, a bit bothersome, isn't it? So it's easier huh, if you teach him a skill how to use his hands to chari makan, earn a living. Right? So you teach him a skill, he is able to go and work and survive on his own. Uh, then his life is easier for you, isn't it? Uh, but even if he has a skill to find a livelihood, uh, that only helps him for this life. And if he does not realize uh, that he is poor uh, because of his karma, then he's walking the same path. And after he passes away, uh, he'll again be suffering, right? Uh, but if we teach him the Dhamma, then uh, the Dhamma is very practical. It teaches how to not only to find happiness in the next life, uh, it also teaches how to find happiness here and now. Uh, that we have to work. Whatever we want, we have to work for it. Not go and buy Ampat Eko or pray to Datukong and all that. 
So if you teach in the Dhamma, he learns how to survive now and also to create merit so that in the future lifetimes he can also get what he needs. So that's why the Dhamma is the highest blessing, is the highest offering. And the Dhamma can help us to reduce our suffering and to eventually eliminate all suffering. So that's why the Dhamma is the highest gift. Now the fourth one is amongst lifestyle. You know the, the Buddha, before he was enlightened, he used to go to the forest and practice meditation and strive in the spiritual path, get out of samsara. And after the Buddha was enlightened, he still lived his life in the forest. He did come out to the big cities to be famous. He lived in the forest, although he did go here and there to preach the Dhamma. And in one of the suttas, the Buddha said, there are two reasons why he continues to live in the forest. One is he has a happy abiding, nobody to disturb his peace. He can do what he likes, meditate when he wants to meditate. You see, even when he wants to have a answer a call of nature, also nobody to, to stop him. <laughs> uh, he can do it easily. Uh, so the first one is a happy abiding. Second one, the Buddha says, uh, out of compassion for future generations. Uh, this a lot of people don't understand why out of compassion for future generations uh, the Buddha lived in the forest. The Buddha is trying to show us uh, that the way out of samsara is to practice the holy life uh, in the forest, to give up worldly things, because worldly things, uh, even though they give us uh, much uh, happiness and enjoyment in this life, uh, but eventually, uh, if you attach to it, uh, it gives you uh, suffering in the end. Uh, That's what the Chinese say, Tao Ti Boi Ko, right? The beginning is sweet, the end is bitter. Uh, so a lot of people are like that, worldly people. Uh, they want happiness here and now, uh, but in the end, uh, they reap suffering. Uh, so the Buddha is showing us the way out of samsara, and he is uh, trying to tell us that the way out of samsara is to give up worldly things, uh, retreat from the world. I wish a lot of uh, monks now uh, don't practice. Uh, during the Buddha's time, uh, there were no town monasteries. All the monasteries were in the forest. Uh, also, uh, the monk's lifestyle, uh, you find that uh, the monk goes on arms round. Uh, the monks, uh, even uh, the robes he wears, are different from lay people. Uh, shaves his head bald. Uh, so that he doesn't uh, need to look uh, handsome or pretty. Uh, it's a very simple lifestyle. And giving up worldly pleasures, etc. Et this uh, is uh, showing the way to actually out of suffering and to attain happiness. The monk's lifestyle is Tao Ko. Boy, tea. 
beginning is suffering, uh, bitter. Uh, in the end, uh, it's sweet. Uh. When I first became a monk, uh, there was a lot of suffering for me. You know. <laughs> I had a reasonably good lifestyle uh, and, uh, before I became a monk. And after I became a monk, uh, I went to a very strict uh, monastery in America you know, where you take one vegetarian meal a day, you have to work the whole day. And in the morning when we start working uh, at 8 o'clock in the morning, uh, it's on an empty stomach. No coffee to drink, no tea to drink, nothing, no bread to eat, just water to drink. And then we have to start working. And the work was pretty heavy and sometimes I had to carry Buddha images from Taiwan. I had to plant apple trees, plant the big uh, bamboo. Uh, and uh, my weight went down from 120 to 96. <laughs> and uh, monks may were very unfriendly. You know, American uh, people uh, like Achan Sumedho uh, mentioned, uh, maybe not in the talk, uh, when we talk to him in the room, say Americans are very direct. Tell you in the face, you know, you do something wrong. I got scolding every day. Uh, and I told him, uh, one of the monks even scolded me for a letter word. <laughs> American monk. Uh, so blunt. Uh, so it was a lot of uh, mental torture for me. Uh, so much so that I broke down and cried uh, one day. <laughs> the first one year I was a lot of suffering. And I eventually got used to it. Uh, so that is a monk's life. Uh, beginning, a lot of suffering. But slowly you get used to it. When I came back from America, I went to Thailand. Then... Uh, we go on arms round, beg for our food, and uh, the food is not very good. And at one time I was staying with a group of Teochew monks. You know, Teochew monks have to drink very thick Chinese tea. Every day at 4 p.m., they will make that tea in a small kettle, you know. They stuff it full of uh, uh, tea leaves. Uh, <laughs> don't drink with them, uh, it's not... Uh, not so nice. La. So every day they call me to drink with them. But I was not born a Teochew. <laughs> so I didn't have a Teochew stomach. <laughs> After a while I got gastric. <laughs> so when I came back to Malaysia, uh, this gastric also was bothering me. And I was staying in the cave uh, also. Then I tried to take cheese uh, because Thai tradition is allowed. But I found cheese didn't suit me. It's too oily, too salty. <laughs> You know, there was a time when there was a lot of dukkha. Eventually you get over it, uh, as the Buddha said uh, in the suttas. Uh, so now, year by year, uh, you get more used to it. Uh, it's becoming sweeter and sweeter. You know, this uh, Pacheka Buddhas, a lot of people don't know that Buddhas, 99.9% uh, .9 of Buddhas are Pacheka Buddhas. Uh, 99.9% of Buddhas refuse to teach. Because uh, if you try to teach, uh, sometimes people don't understand, people don't accept the teaching, sometimes people talk bad about you. And Jesus Christ got crucified because he's trying to teach a new religion. Because his standard was higher than the previous teachings. The previous teachings was an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. He said, no. So somebody slaps you, we offer him the other cheek to slap. Uh, so it was a sort of a revolution 
he was trying to create, but people could not accept him and crucified him on the cross. Uh, that's why 99.9% of Buddhas uh, refused to teach. Uh, but are they selfish? Are they not compassionate? Even though they don't teach, uh, they are still compassionate. Uh, they show the way out of samsara. They still come on arms round to give uh, the chance for people to get married and also show other people uh, the way out of samsara. Uh, so a monk's lifestyle uh, is compassionate. Sometimes some books say uh, that the most compassionate being is the bodhisattva. Uh, cannot be, uh, because the bodhisattva still has a self. Bodhisattva is not totally enlightened, but an arahant is totally enlightened. An arahant includes the Buddha. The word arahant comes from the word arahatta. Ara and hatta. Ara is the spokes of the wheel of samsara. Hatta is broken. Then arahatta or arahana is one who has broken the cycle of rebirth. So will never be reborn. And there are three types of arahants. One is a Samasam Buddha, another one is a Pacheka Buddha, the third one is a Arahant disciple. Uh, Buddhas are actually self-enlightened Arahants. Buddhas are actually uh, Arya from the past life, uh, and then when they get reborn in their last life, uh, there's no more teaching in the world. Like our Buddha, he was probably a Sakadagamin. So he struggled very hard uh, because there was no more Dhamma in the world uh, until he became enlightened. Uh, so that is a Buddha, self-enlightened Arahan. Uh, so the most compassionate beings uh, are Arahans because they have no more self. Uh, when they have no more self, uh, there is no selfishness at all. They see all beings as the same as them. Uh, how can they not be compassionate? Now I'll talk about uh, what sometimes seems to be cruel and what sometimes seems to be compassionate is not exactly so. Okay, the first one is sometimes you have to be cruel to be kind. Especially parents with their children. If the children need a spanking, give them a spanking. That's actually kind, it's not cruel. Of course, a small boy, when you spank him, you will, you will not think that you are kind to him. But that is uh, actually um, being more kind than unkind. Now, the Buddha said uh, that uh, if a person conducts himself well in body, speech and mind, uh, then uh, even though he says he hates himself, uh, actually uh, he loves himself. But if a person misconducts himself, uh, in body, speech and mind, even though he thinks that he loves himself, actually he hates himself because he's causing himself suffering, either now or in future. For example, if a person breaks the precepts, for example, he cheats, he thinks to benefit himself, he cheats the company of millions of dollars to benefit himself, but he's actually harming himself, not benefiting himself. And he's going to suffer for a long time in the future. Uh, so such a person uh, does not love himself. Uh, so the Buddha also said uh, that uh, in teaching others, uh, we should use a soft approach. 
And if it doesn't work, then we should use the hard approach. And if, if, if necessary, then the soft and hard approach. So there was this uh, sutta called the KC Sutta. This KC was a horse trainer, a well-known horse trainer. And one day he came to see the Buddha. And the Buddha knew that he was a horse trainer, so he could discipline horses so well. So Buddha asked him, how do you discipline the horses? How do you train them? Then he says, uh, he uses the soft approach, meaning uh, they like to eat sugar cane, you give them sugar cane, and they like to eat sweets, and whatever food they like to eat, uh, he gives them and coaxes them to uh, do whatever he instructs them to do. Then he says, uh, if this doesn't work, then he uses the hard approach, either whip them, or take the gold stick and poke into their skin. Uh, and then the Buddha asks, what if uh, the soft approach and the hard approach doesn't work? Then he said, in that case, uh, I destroy the horse. In order that they not uh, bring shame to, uh, to this table, right? to this uh, master. Uh, then he asked the Buddha, Bhagawa, you are also a trainer, you are a trainer of men. How do you tame uh, your men. Then the Buddha said, I also use the soft approach. I also use the hard approach. Uh, then he asked, what is your soft approach? Then the Buddha says, I explain uh, what is good karma, uh, what is good good conduct in body, speech and mind. Uh, and I explain the result of that uh, is rebirth in the heavens or in the human realm uh, uh, to enjoy. Uh, then what is the hard approach? Then the Buddha said, uh, explain uh, about the three evil karmas, body, uh, speech and mind, uh, and how these three evil karmas uh, bring you to rebirth in the woeful plains, uh, in the ghost, animal and hell realm uh, that is uh, frightening. Uh, so that is the hard approach. And also both the soft and hard approach. Uh. Then he asked the Buddha, what if this doesn't work? Then the Buddha said, then I kill the man. <laughs> and then he said, you are an Arahant, Buddha, surely you don't kill a man. And then the Buddha said, yes, I, in the Aryan discipline, it is death to a man when his teachers or his companions in the holy life refuse to teach him the Dhamma. So, if you have no opportunity to learn the Dhamma, then you are not progressing in the spiritual path, then you might as well be dead. You are just like a dead man. How can Wakong Kisi Gaho? Because you are wasting your life. Huh? The Buddha says huh? if you live a hundred years huh, and you don't practice the spiritual path, huh, it is better you live one day and practice the spiritual path. In fact, if you live a hundred years and you don't practice the spiritual path, huh, you are going backwards. Because every day in our human existence, uh, we are using our blessings. Day after day, we use our blessings. hundred years later, uh, you are already in the red. Uh. <laughs> it's bankrupt business. Uh. <laughs> so that is uh, death in the Aryan discipline. Uh, so that's why uh, if uh, parents, uh, if children, uh, they need to be taught the hard way, uh, give them the hard way. Sometimes they need to be, uh, you need to use a soft way uh, 
you do your homework, huh? uh, tomorrow I bring you to McDonald's or something. <laughs> so, give the spanking uh, when it's necessary. Uh. Nowadays, uh, uh, the other day, in fact, uh, somebody told me, uh, a lady told me, the husband said, Bhante, I see, uh, to spank the child is out of date. Uh, is is in the long, long, long ago time. He said, nowadays nobody spank their children. Father said, no. but then you see in the West, uh, they don't spank their children. What do they do? They ask the child to go up to his room and lock the room, don't come out. Right? That's one way. Another way, favorite TV program, cannot see. <laughs> These are ways and means uh, to show them uh, you mean business. Uh, right? Uh, so that is uh, need to be cruel, to be kind. Now the second thing I like to talk about uh, is in the suttas. One day, this big, huge uh, deva by the name of Rahu is an asura, very huge. One day he caught the moon deva, uh, Chandima. He caught the moon deva. Was about to kill the moon deva. I don't know why, maybe also eat him up or what. So this moon deva called out to the Buddha for help. Then the Buddha is not always uh, in deep samadhi. So the Buddha happened to know. And then the Buddha responded by talking very loudly to this Rahu, Sasura, asking Rahu to release this uh, Chandima deva. Said, uh, the Buddha has compassion for beings, and this Deva has called out to my name, so you release him. So this Rahu, when he heard this loud sound of the Buddha, quickly released this moon Deva and flew back to his Asura heaven and was traveling from head to foot, shaking all over. So the Asura king saw him and asked him, what happened to you? Why are you shaking like a leaf? Then he told him what happened just now. Then he said, if I had not released that Chandima Deva, my head would have split into seven pieces. <laughs> so you see, when the Buddha gives instruction like that, and they don't heed it, the head can split into seven pieces. Is that being unkind? That's not being unkind. Buddha is being compassionate to this Chandima Deva and he's not causing this uh, Rahu's head to split. If the Rahu did not respond to the Buddha's instruction, his head would have split. That is his own doing. Right? So you see why, okay, from here you can see maybe why 99.9% of Pachika Buddhas don't teach. If they teach, yeah, and you don't listen to the Pachika Buddha, creating very bad karma. That's why yeah, in the suttas, yeah, whenever the Buddha teaches the Dhamma, anybody he teaches to yeah, will become a stream enterer. Uh, if that person uh, cannot become a stream enterer, uh, the Buddha will not teach him. Because the Buddha teaches him, uh, and he doesn't become a stream enterer, uh, he's creating very, very bad karma. Right? He does not believe what the Buddha says. Uh, uh-huh. And the same thing happened uh, another time uh, with the Sandeva. Sandeva also was caught by this huge Rahu. 
and the same thing happened. Uh, now, in the suttas, uh, we find uh, that one of the previous Buddhas was called Kakusanda Buddha. And because he was preaching the Dhamma and bringing people out of samsara, Mara, Satan, uh, was very angry, uh, was, uh, wanted uh, the Buddha to stop his work. Uh. So he tried ways and means uh, to stop the Buddha and did not work. Uh. Whenever he, he tried, uh, the Buddha would tell his disciples, uh, Mara is trying to do this, Mara is trying to do that, so he don't react. Uh. So he found that uh, he could not succeed. Uh. He got so angry. One day when Kakusanda was walking on arms around, uh, this more senior disciple behind him, uh, Mara got into somebody's body, took a big stone uh, and came from behind and whacked the monk uh, from the back uh, until his head was bleeding all over with blood. Uh. And um, Kakusanda Buddha probably thought that's enough. Uh, turned around uh, and stared at him, uh, what is known as the elephant look. Uh. <laughs> stared at him, uh, immediately Mara died and landed in hell. Uh, is the Buddha being unkind? <laughs> hmm? The Buddha probably thought uh, you stop here and now. And probably he did not want to stop. He probably wanted to do some more. And he immediately died. So in the same case, it's like just now, the Buddha gave an instruction. He stopped doing it. He doesn't want to stop. So he has to reap the natural karma of going to hell. But it's better for him to go to hell now. Instead of creating some more evil karma against the Buddha and his disciples, then he will go to hell for a much longer time. Right? So... Who was this person? He went to hell, uh, was reborn in hell. Then he said uh, that he had a fish head and a human body in hell. And after suffering for a long time in hell, uh, he came back to the earth, to the human uh, realm, and re was reborn as Mahamogalana. <laughs> Mahamogalana, Mogalana the Great. Mm. So the, the um, Mahamogulana was talking about his previous life. You know. So sometimes uh, we see like this, uh, we, we don't have the wisdom. Uh, we think, ah, oh, this person acts in such a way, he's not compassionate. It's not so. Now, another thing I'd like to say uh, is that in one of the suttas, the Buddha said uh, that, uh, I think somebody asked him, uh, is it better uh, if somebody does something uh, praiseworthy, we praise him? And somebody does something wrong, uh, unpraiseworthy or some, some big fault, uh, then uh, instead of uh, seeing, that, uh, seeing the truth uh, that this person did wrong and, and all that, uh, then uh, we are more compassionate now uh, if we don't speak ill of others. Uh, the Buddha said no. Buddha said, ah, if somebody is worthy of praise, we praise him. If somebody is worthy of dispraise, then we dispraise him. The Buddha was very blunt, like all Aryas. Black is black, white is white. Bokong ings you are. speak sweet words. So like Maha Kasapa. Kasapa is not very popular with lay people because he's very blunt. One day in the, in the Vinaya books, uh, uh, this, uh, remember Ananda at that time, remember Ananda was more than 80 years old. 
after the Buddha had passed away. And he was walking with a big group of disciples, about 1,000 monk disciples, and going here and going there. And Mahakasapa scolded him, you small boy. What are you doing walking around all over the place eh? with 1,000 disciples and making it difficult for the lay people to feed you? Because if you walk with 1,000 monks, eh, you go to a place eh, to ask for food, eh, it's difficult for the lay people to feed. Eh? So you see, so blunt. This member Ananda said, Bhante, I'm old already, my hair is already white, and he called me a small boy. <laughs> Again, he shouted at him, small boy. <laughs> So you see, Arahanas who can speak like that, uh, because uh, um, they are very blunt. Uh. So in the same way, in the suttas, uh, we find uh, that the Buddha scolded this external sect, ascetic leader called Makali Gosala Buddha. The Buddha said that fool, Makali Gosala Buddha, teaching our Dhamma. Uh, because this fellow, this Makali Gosala Buddha, he says there is no karma. When you say there's no karma, people can do what they like, right? They're not afraid of any consequences. So the Buddha said this fool Makali yeah, is leading people uh, into the woeful plains. Just like a fish trap now. You know, you, you make all this bamboo and uh, you lead all the fish uh, into the kelong. Uh, and they cannot come out of it. No? The Buddha said the same way this fool uh, is causing people to go into the woeful plains. So the Buddha also was very blunt. Uh, so also, the Buddha also said nah, in the Anguttara Nikaya that what is Dhamma, we, we should say is Dhamma. What is what our Dhamma against the Dhamma, we should also speak out. Uh, the Buddha said nah, we should not be afraid to speak out. Uh, but then uh, if you speak out very often, you are unpopular. Uh, so the Buddha also was unpopular actually during his days. Nah. That's why in the Sutta, the Buddha said, I don't quarrel with the world. The world quarrels with me. He who speaks the Dhamma does not quarrel with the world. So we have to be blunt. Now another one I'd like to talk about is some people like to rescue animals. That is quite good. But then it's one of those things that we can't help very much. You know, we have this SPCA, Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. Their aim uh, is very good, very noble. In England, they call it Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. They rescue the dogs and the cats and all the animals that are endangered. And they keep them, uh, hoping that somebody will take it uh, and take care of it in their homes. But then, uh, you know what is happening, like in SPCA in Kuala Lumpur? They rescue and they have so many cats and dogs uh, in the pen uh, that they cannot manage. So if you bring them a cat or a dog, uh, after a few days, uh, like one week, uh, nobody comes to take it, uh, they will put it to sleep. So when they put it to sleep, uh, what are they doing? They are creating very evil karma. If it comes to that stage uh, where they have to put it to sleep, uh, it's better don't do it. Right? It's just like some people, they want to pray to heaven to, to get married. And they go and slaughter an animal and pray. They want to get married, but they are getting demarried, the Buddha said. So in the same way, people like this SPCA, yeah, they want to get married. But actually, they are getting demarried. I have one supporter whose cousin works in the SPCA. She went to work there because she loves animals. 
kind to animals. But after working there, she finds uh, she has to tell the worker which animal to put to sleep. And every time she does it, uh, tears in her eyes as she simply points this animal, that animal. Uh, so, if it comes to that stage, uh, don't do it. Uh, 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 the other thing is, some people uh, think uh, spaying is cruel. Uh, a few months ago, that's one lady from Perlis phoned me, you know, and she said uh, there were two stray female dogs outside her house. So out of kindness, uh, she took them and fed them, fed them, and eventually became her dogs. And every now and then, they give birth. She has to go and find people to give the puppies to her. And after some time, people scared of her. (laughs) 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 Always approaching with the puppies. They see her, so run away. (laughs) So much so, she is at a loss what to do. So her friends, you know, told her what? Friends say, Ayah. You beside them, <laughs> cannot spare. Yeah. You bring it to the marketplace, go and release it. Release it. You will find food in the marketplace. Can a dog find food in the marketplace? Even if there's food in the rubbish bin, you have broken glass, you have nails and all that. And then, you know, dogs have their territory. If you bring a dog to another dog's territory, you will get bitten. So very often uh, these stray dogs uh, get bitten all over uh, and it's very common to see a stray dog uh, with a wound at the back, uh, big wound uh, with a lot of maggots. Maggots are eating at the flesh, uh, it's in great pain. Uh, That's what happens uh, if you release a dog. Uh, So how can you release a dog? So the most compassionate way is to spay the dog. Don't be afraid, I I told her. It's not cruel to, to, to spay a dog. How much pain? Ma? Even human beings also go and spay themselves, isn't it? <laughs> so that they don't give birth anymore, isn't it? Not only women, men also do it nowadays. Right? Uh, so what's uncompassionate about it? In fact, that's the most compassionate way. In Timor, where our monastery is, uh, we have a lot of dogs all around because we have a lot of these fish ponds, you know. And they keep the dogs uh, so that people don't come and steal the fish. But they never spay the dogs and they multiply so much, uh, and then, uh, every now and then, uh, you hear the female, uh, the, the bitch, uh, on heat, uh, and gets bitten by all other dogs. Always crying. Uh. I think that's pretty cruel. Our dogs uh, are spayed, uh, and they live comfortably. They rich. <laughs> never get bothered by other dogs, uh, until they're so fat. <laughs> uh, so, spaying is not cruel. And then nowadays in Mahayana, Buddhists like to practice liberation of animals. Also, that was not encouraged by the Buddha during the Buddha's time. Nobody practiced liberation of animals. Because I've been in Mahayana Buddhism for nine years and I've seen a lot of liberation of animals. And I find it's not really practical. Because a lot of times, for example, birds, when they release the birds, they've been kept in the cages for so long, either they don't know how to fly, or I've seen uh, sometimes they fly on only, on only about 10 feet. Uh, some can fly higher. But there was one time uh, when I was in Lunas and somebody came and uh, said the sister is dying of cancer. So she wants to uh, she wants to liberate three pigeons. She brought three pigeons. 
So he he wanted me to liberate, so I released the pigeons. One fell to the ground. Second one flew up about 10 feet. Third one flew up about 20 feet. So the one that fell to the ground, I had to catch it and put it in the cage. The next day, the one about 10 feet fell to the ground. Because I had no food to eat nah, the whole day, so, so weak, nah, I fell to the ground. Then I saw the cat coming quickly, caught it, put it in the cage. The day after that, the one twenty feet up there fell to the ground. <laughs> because they have been in the cage so long, they don't know how to find food. Nah. There's a time also, some people, uh, when I was living on, on Penang Hill nah, in the cave, nah, somebody brought pigeons also to release. And some flew... And some dare not fly out also, want to stay in the cage. They feel safer in the cage. <laughs> and I've seen also when I was in America, they release a lot of birds, you know. A few days later, uh, we find the birds' feathers on the ground. Because uh, there's a lot of eagles around. And these uh, pigeons, uh, they don't know where to hide. So they're easy prey for the, for the eagles, uh. And sometimes they release the tortoises. They buy the tortoises. They release in the river. And then a few weeks later, you find the shell of the tortoise. <laughs> because it's not it's not used to that place. It doesn't know how to find food in that place. And the place is so rocky. And it's not the right place to release it. Tortoises, they need a place where there's a lot of plant life. Shelter. But there's no plant life there. Another time they uh, were staying in Seattle, they released uh, one tortoise in the garden, thinking it would be safe uh, in the garden. A few days later, I smelt it, the uh, corpse got killed by a badger. Uh, so, so a lot of the times, uh, liberation uh, is not practical. Uh, well, of course, if you see somebody uh, about to slaughter a cicatroa, iguana or something, uh, you can buy and uh, liberate it. And the last one uh, is meat-eating. Uh, a lot of people uh, think uh, that it is cruel to eat meat. But the Buddha did not uh, encourage uh, vegetarianism uh, because the Buddha is very practical. In fact, one of his disciples, Devadatta, asked the Buddha to make a rule uh, so that all monks uh, should only eat vegetarian food. And the Buddha said no. The Buddha said uh, uh, meat that has three conditions uh, is pure. Uh, if you do not see, you do not hear, and you do not suspect uh, that the animal was purposely killed for you, uh, then there's uh, no evil karma in eating the meat. Uh. Because when we eat the meat, uh, for example, you go to the market and you buy uh, pork, uh, it's already slaughtered, or fish, uh, already dead. Uh. You are actually uh, not uh, causing the death of those animals. But a lot of people think uh, because we eat meat and uh, people slaughter more animals. But uh, they fail to realize uh, that uh, even if the whole world became vegetarians, uh, there will still be slaughter of animals, uh, killing of animals. Uh. Because, for example, now uh, dogs uh, without licenses, uh, the government employs people to shoot, kill them. Uh, because if they multiply too much, uh, then they will have rabies and they will bite people and all that. Uh. So, the uh, government finds it necessary. In fact, I think uh, last year, well, in China, there was a place uh, where the dogs were biting people and they had to shoot all the dogs. Uh -huh. So, the same with other animals. Uh. If we 
allow them to multiply. They'll multiply so fast uh, that they'll be eating all the crops and walking on the streets and all that. Uh, so they will still be eliminated. So only thing is the this is uh, the world itself is cruel. We cannot change the fact uh, that the world is cruel. That's why the Buddha said uh, uh, the world is dukkha. In fact, in the Bible, the Bible says that the world is cruel. So, Buddha only told us to be careful not to have the direct karma of killing. The indirect karma, we cannot help. Even staying in a house, you are contributing to more housing estates being created. When they want to create a housing estate, they have to bulldoze the land, clear the land. A lot of animals die, a lot of people, a lot of animals cannot survive. Because you want to use electricity, government builds dams. When they build dams, the river is flooded. A lot of animals die. Same, because you want to use household items. Then factories are made. They have to clear the forest, etc. Now this is, this argument that because we eat animals, more animals are slaughtered. If that is valid, then we cannot sit in cars. We cannot drive cars because... According to statistics, uh, every day, uh, 2,000 human beings uh, are killed on the roads uh, every day and countless animals. Uh. So if we make more cars and uh, more vehicles, uh, more people will be killed. Right? So are you contributing the death to more people? Uh, in fact, I thought of one uh, simile. Uh, you know, if there's a serial killer and then uh, around and he has killed many people, uh, and then all the people in the town be afraid to go out at night. And they ask the police to catch the man. So after much investigation, the man is caught. Then he's tried. And then sentenced to death. And then he's hanged, for example. Now, this man has to die. Okay? Who has the biggest evil karma? If you really think about it, it's actually the hanged man hangman who actually hangs him. The second uh, is the judge. Of course, the hangman can say, I'm only doing only chari makan to feed my wife and children. I didn't sentence him to death. The judge uh, sentenced him to death. And then the judge will say, I only sentenced only. I didn't, I didn't do the act. You were the one who did the act. <laughs> uh, so the second uh, most evil karma is the judge. Policeman, Policeman, no evil come How about you? Actually, he has to die yeah, because of all of you, right? To safeguard all of you, uh, he has to die. So you all got sin, no? <laughs> Ultimately, yeah, it's for all of you uh, that he has to die, you know? Uh, but you have no evil karma, even though you contribute to his death. So in the same way, when an animal is killed to feed human beings, uh, the most evil karma is the person who does the slaughter. The person who slaughters the chicken, or slaughters the pig, etc. The second most evil karma is the person who rears the animal uh, to be slaughtered. Because from the, from the beginning, uh, he already has this idea in mind uh, to sell it to be slaughtered, right? But the person who eats the slaughtered meat uh, has no evil karma. In the same way, you know? mm. Oh, it's a very good simile. So I shall end here. Okay, if there's no question for the
time being, uh, I'd like to say something that uh, the Buddha asked us uh, to practice the spiritual path, right? Get out samsara. But not everybody uh, can practice the spiritual path. Why? Because we are all at different levels. All at different levels. Spiritual maturity uh, is different. Mm. So those who are spiritually mature, uh, ready to practice a spiritual path, uh, they will practice a spiritual path either as a monastic or as a lay person. But there are some people, uh, their blessings is so low that they cannot practice. Uh, they try to meditate and all that, their minds very disturbed, uh, they can't do it. Uh. Such people, uh, they need to create more good karma by going to good deeds. Uh. For example, there are some people who work with this searchy organization, do charity, help others. And some people do social work and all that. That's good if you can't practice a spiritual path. But if you can, don't waste your human life. Because human life is very difficult to get. And this work that you do to help animals and all that, actually the merit is very little. In the long run, it doesn't help you very much. And you can't help these animals very much also. That's why the Buddha said in the one of the suttas, the Buddha said a long time ago, he was a Brahmin who did a lot of dana. So much dana, he said that he gave away 84,000 buckets of gold. 84,000 buckets of silver, 84,000 buckets of precious stones, and 84,000 uh, chickens, uh, lamb, uh, cattle, etc., and uh, clothing and cloth and all this thing. And the food and the drinks that he gave away, uh, he said, uh, flowed like the river. And he said, in spite of all that, uh, his uh, merit uh, was negligible, very small. Why? Because the people who received it uh, were all putujana, no Arya around, all putujana. So the, the Buddha said uh, it, it would have been greater merit uh, if he had just given to one stream enterer, meaning a first path attainer. And the Buddha said, uh, even giving dana to 100 stream attainers, uh, first path attainers, uh, is less uh, than the merit uh, of giving to one sotapanna, one fruit attainer. Uh, so in other words, uh, this uh, first path attainer doesn't exist for one moment, or, or only one moment. Uh, he exists uh, for, for many years uh, that's why the Buddha said that you can do dana to a first path attainer, but even you do it to 100 stream attainers, uh, it's less than the merit of giving to one fruit attainer, the sotapanna. And giving dana to 100 sotapannas uh, is less than the merit of giving to one second path attainer, etc. So you see uh, from here uh, that actually uh, if we give to, we help uh, all these animals and all these putujana, the merit actually is not very great. Mm -hmm. 
and since it is so difficult to get a human body yeah, if you can meditate if you can practice the spiritual path yeah, don't go and do these things yeah, because uh, in the end uh, it doesn't help very much yeah. it's not that it's not good it's good but then uh, for yourself yeah, if you pity others uh, you must also pity yourself right uh, you continue to do this yeah, you'll be in the round of rebirths for a very 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 long time if you have the chance to hear the true Dhamma, try to get uh, to attain uh, the stream entry. Once you attain the stream entry, uh, you've got the most precious thing you can get in this world. So that uh, you're on your way out of suffering, out of, out of samsara. Uh, so only those people uh, who can't practice meditation, who can't hear the, the sutta. There some people's minds are so disturbed, uh, they, they cannot hear the suttas. You know? Some time ago, many years ago, I had one old supporter, I told me about this auntie. This auntie had such a nasty temper, uh, such an unpleasant person, partly because uh, of the distribution of uh, property, uh, they had a grudge against the other relatives, uh, always cursing the <laughs> relatives. You know? So, because was such, she was such an unpleasant person, so nasty, yeah, that the children uh, in her old age uh, put her in the nursing home. Yeah. And even in the nursing home, uh, she'll get into tantrums. Uh. Uh, so, rage, uh, such a rage, and uh, nobody can control her. So, one day when she was so old, uh, about to die, or this, she got into one of these rage. And they had to call the doctor and give her a jab tranquilizer so that she could sleep. And then they phoned the children to come. So three children went to that nursing home. And this old supporter of mine, he happened to drive past the nursing home. He saw the cousin's cars there. And ah, before I come to this, actually because this old lady, had such a nasty temper and was such an unpleasant person. This old supporter of mine tried to help the auntie to give her Dharma talks to listen and to ask her to do some chanting, simple chanting, just Namo Tassa, Bhagavato, Arahato, Samasabuddhasa. But when she tried to do the chanting, she tried and tried. She could not even chant Namo Tassa, Bhagavato. She tried until the tears came down and she told the, the the supporter of mine said, don't ask me to chant, I cannot chant. Karma so bad, I cannot even chant the Buddha's name. So, okay, coming back to that part now, where this old supporter of mine drove past the nursing home and saw the cousin's cars there. So he stopped the car, ran into the nursing home, thought the auntie had died. I went into the room, there were a few of them in the room, or six of them in the room, and he saw the auntie there, he got a shock. Because the two teeth came out, the two Dracula teeth came out so long. And they tried to close the mouth, they could not close the mouth because the teeth were so long. And they could see the teeth for two days, you know, until she died. The moment she died, the teeth disappeared. That means uh, she had already turned into that type of ghost, that fierce ghost because of her character so fierce. So you see, such people like this, huh? Don't ask them to meditate. Wasting <laughs> your breath. Even chanting also cannot. So only thing we can do is to do good deeds. 
So some people are so low huh, that they have to do good deeds huh, to progress spiritually. But if you can progress spiritually, huh, don't waste your time. Huh? Our life is very short. You don't know when we are going to die. So. The Buddha says uh, all of us have cancer. The problem is, since the doctor didn't say, uh, we don't believe. Uh, <laughs> we don't believe that we have cancer. We think we still have a long time. But the Buddha already warned us, all of us have cancer. Anytime we can die. Uh, so don't waste our life. Actually, in the suttas, the Buddha said uh, that he contemplated 91 world cycles. And since one world cycle is such a long, long time, uh, for him to contemplate 91 world cycles, uh, I believe uh, he must have spent the whole night looking into the past. Uh, and during this time, 91 world cycles, the Buddha said uh, he saw only six Samasam Buddha. We don't mention Pachika Buddhas uh, because Pachika Buddhas are many. But Samasam Buddha, only six. Three of them uh, before our Buddha was on this planet Earth. Another three is before this planet Earth, another other world cycles. So later books talk about 24 Buddhas and 28 Buddhas and the Mayana, you have 88 Buddhas and all this. It's all cooked up. Even this story, this legend about how the Buddha met the Bankara Buddha. All that also is later writing. Which means to say you're saying that the three previous Buddha mm. actually um, was in this whole cycle. In this one? Mm. The other three, yeah. the first three was in the, like the last 90 world cycles. Yes, yeah. And these 90 world cycles only produces three. Yes. Mm. So you see, yeah, it's so difficult to meet the, the true Dhamma, you know. Is there any more Buddha coming? Oh, yes. Yes. So, in this world, in this planet Earth, the first Buddha was Kakusanda Buddha, then Kona Gamana Buddha, then Kasapa Buddha, who was our Bodhisattva's previous teacher. Then you have Gotama Buddha. And then the Buddha said that on this planet Earth, there's still one more, that is Metya Buddha. Of Maitreya Buddha in Sanskrit, Milekut. He will come when human lifespan is 80,000 years. But he's not as fat as you see our Chinese image, right? So we are actually very fortunate. But even though the Dhamma, there are five Samasam Buddhas in the world. Look at our Buddha Gautama. He mentioned that in his previous life, he as a human being, he had met the Buddha Kasapa. Okay. After meeting the Buddha Kasapa, and the Buddha Kasapa taught him the Dhamma, he must have attained stream entry. Because after that, he decided to become a monk. And after becoming a monk under the Buddha Kasapa, he must have attained the first jhana. Because when he came back as Siddhartha Gautama, as a small boy, he could attain the first jhana, right? 
So under the Buddha Kasapa, he must have attained at least the first jhana. In which case, uh, he would have become a, a, this Sakatagami. Most likely, he would have been a Sakatagami. And Sakatagami, they are reborn in heaven. So he was reborn into Sita heaven. And after, after Tusita heaven, he came down to the human realm again. At that time, no more Dhamma. So you see, even though there are five Buddhas in the world, because the world, one cycle is so long, that in between the Buddhas, there are gaps when there, are, there is no Dhamma in the world. So when he came back as a, a Sakadagamin, a second fruit attainer, according to the suttas, he has to enter Nibbana in that very life. He's like a ripe fruit that must fall, must enter Nibbana. So even without a teacher and for no apparent reason, his family was so rich and having such a good life, for no apparent reason he left everybody, his family to renounce. That could only be possible because he was a Sakadagami. So after that, he struggled and became enlightened. And then he brought the flame of the Dhamma, kindled the flame of the Dhamma again. So even though, you see, we have uh, Samasam Buddhas in the world, but there are gaps even on this earth when there is no Dhamma. I chose one kappa, one world cycle so long. No, but it's stated in the Vinaya books uh, that different Buddhas, uh, their sasana lasts a different time. Uh, and the reason for it, the Buddha says, uh, is that some Samasam Buddhas, they teach uh, little suttas and Vinaya. Some Samasam Buddhas uh, teach a lot of suttas and Vinaya. Those that teach a lot of suttas and Vinaya, the sasana lasts longer. Also, the Buddha mentioned uh, that when there is no more Samasam Buddha in the world, uh, he has to depend on the monks, uh, the later monks, uh, to transmit the teachings. Uh. So those that transmit the true teachings, uh, the true teachings will last longer. But those that transmit the wrong teachings uh, will cause the Sasana to, to die faster, pass away faster. And the Buddha mentioned there are five factors uh, that lead to the disappearance of the true Dharma. The first one is disrespect for the Buddha. That means uh, instead of uh, uh, thinking of uh, our Sakyamuni Buddha, people prefer to pray to other Buddhas. Uh, and then uh, disrespect for Dhamma. People don't want to uh, really investigate the real, real Dhamma. They investigate other teachings. Mm -hmm. Third one, respect for the Sangha. No respect for the Sangha. Maybe because the Sangha doesn't behave properly and no respect for the Sangha. The fourth one is no respect for the training. This spiritual uh, path is a gradual training. Uh, no respect for it. The last one is uh, disrespect for Samadhi. So disrespect for concentration Samadhi also leads to the uh, decline of the true Dhamma. A lot of people uh, don't understand why Samadhi is necessary. You can only understand uh, if you attain Samadhi. Uh, because when you attain Samadhi, uh, your 
uh, seeing and knowing uh, is a, at a much higher level. It's not that without samadhi you cannot see and know, you can. It's like somebody uh, at the bottom of the hill, he looks all around, uh, he thinks uh, the view is very nice. Uh, but when he climbs to the top of the hill, uh, he looks a uh, different view. Uh, as you can see much further, so in the same way. Without samadhi, uh, you can know and see by the shadow level. That's why the Buddha stressed on the four jhanas. The Buddha also mentioned in the suttas uh, that when you attain the fourth jhana, the, all the myriad knowledges uh, come automatically. That's why, because the Buddha had the four jhanas, uh, when he wanted to contemplate the past lives, uh, he could do it easily. Mm-hmm. Is there a possibility of Arahant's existing now? Yes. But then, uh, Arahans and Anagamins uh, are very hard to find. Because uh, for a person to become an Anagamin and Arahan, it is stated in the Madhyama Nikaya that he needs to have the four jhanas. That's why the Anagamins are reborn in the fourth jhana plane. And this, the fourth jhana is a very high state, very difficult to achieve. Because when you attain the fourth jhana, the uh, breath stops. So, also the Buddha mentioned uh, that if a person attains these uh, high jhanas, uh, if he's a lay, lay person, uh, he will not want to be a lay person. But then, uh, these jhanas by themselves uh, is not enough. You've got to have the knowledge of the suttas. If you practice meditation until you are perfect in meditation and you don't hear the Dhamma, you're just like Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ had great spiritual power. He could drive ghosts out of people's bodies, could cure the sick, even raise Lazarus from the dead to come alive again. But because he had no knowledge of the Dhamma, he was probably not an Arya. But somebody like Jesus Christ, uh, if he had learned one sutta about the Four Noble Truths, uh, he would immediately become an Arahant. Uh, so you see the difference between uh, having uh, the fourth jhana and not having the fourth jhana. If you have the fourth jhana and you listen to the correct sutta, you can become an Anagamin or an Arahant. But you have no jhana at all, uh, you listen to the same teaching, uh, you can become a stream enterer, first path attainer. That's the difference. Yeah. You know why? Because uh, you can find uh, in the Vinaya books, uh, when the Buddha wanted to gather his disciples, uh, he went to look for specific persons. He didn't simply go to the marketplace and they call you. <laughs> no, not selling medicine, you know, simply preach to anybody. He went to look for specific persons. And those specific persons he went to look for are those who practice the jhanas. For example, the first five disciples, because the Buddha had attained jhana, he would have taught jhana to his first five disciples. So he went. When he went after enlightenment, he went to them. He didn't ask them to meditate. He just asked them to sit down and listen. 
and then he discoursed to them sutta after sutta. And after teaching the Anatta Lakana Sutta, all of them became Arahants. Then after that, he went to look for Yasa. Actually, he didn't look for Yasa. He made Yasa come to him. Yasa was an extremely rich man's son. And then uh, every night, uh, he would be entertained by the slaves uh, who would sing and dance for him. And he would be probably drinking liquor and all that until uh, he was tired, he'd fall asleep. And the slaves would be so tired that uh, they'd also fall asleep on the ground. So the Buddha made him wake up in the middle of the night. And then when he got up, he saw all the servants lying there, half naked, and with their saliva flowing out of their mouth, and their hair all, all loose. So because he must have been an ascetic in his previous life, they appeared like corpses to him. So when he saw them, he was thinking, Dukkha and Dukkha. So the Buddha probably made him walk out of the house, walk to the city gates, and the city gates were all closed at night. But the city gates automatically opened. So he walked out of the city gates and walked in the direction of the Buddha until he came to the Buddha in the forest. And when he saw the Buddha, he said, Dukkha, Dukkha. Then the Buddha said, sit down here, Yasa. There's no Dukkha here. And when he heard there's no Dukkha here, happily he sat down. And the Buddha taught him the Four Noble Truths. Graduated, graduated discourse on the Four Noble Truths. And after listening, he attained stream entry. The next morning, the father was worried. Went all over looking for him until the, the father came to the same place where the Buddha was. And the Buddha asked the father to sit down. And then taught him the same discourse. And the father attained stream entry. And the son, hearing it the second time, became Arahant. Then after that, this Yasa's friends, there were 54 of them. They heard that Yasa, after Yasa became an Arahant, he did not want to go back to the house. So he became a monk, disciple of the Buddha. So when his 54 friends heard that he had become a monk, they were astonished. That's the richest man in town. The, the, the son uh, has renounced. So they thought uh, his teacher must be very special. So one by one they came to see him uh, in the forest. And the same way the Buddha taught them the Dhamma. One by one they became Arahans. If they had not attained the fourth jhana in their previous human lifetime, uh, they would not become Arahans just hearing the Dhamma one time. Mm. So it's because they were ascetics uh, who had attained jhana. So after the Buddha had these 60 uh, Arahant disciples, then the Buddha asked them to walk different roads uh, and preach the Dhamma. Then after that, the Buddha looked with his divine eye, who to teach. And the Buddha saw 1,000 ascetics, uh, external ascetics called Jatilas, matted hair ascetics. Uh, they kept their hair very long. And they lived by the side of the river. And they prayed to the fire. And they submerged themselves in the river water three times in the dawn and three times at dusk. But because they probably cultivated jhana, then the Buddha went to them. And the leader, because probably because of having attained the four jhanas, he had probably had some psychic power. And he kept thinking to himself that he was an arahant. And the Buddha stayed several weeks with them and showed psychic power until they were so... Uh, taken up by the Buddha, that they, all of them uh, renounced to become the monk disciples of the Buddha. And after they had renounced uh, to become his disciples, 
Then only the Buddha taught them the Dhamma and discoursed one sutta to them, the fire discourse. After hearing the fire discourse, now all 1,000 of them became Arahants. So you see, these are special people the Buddha went to. The Buddha didn't go to the marketplace. <laughs> if the Buddha was alive today, he would look with his divine eye. Somebody uh, like uh, maybe uh, Albert Einstein, <laughs> because Albert Einstein had very strong samadhi, you know, he could do mathematical calculations uh, in his mind, all mathematical calculations without writing it down, uh, he could do it in his mind. Uh, so if the Buddha looked for such people, uh, there will still be arahants in the world. Another reason uh, why it's difficult to find arahants now uh, is that a lot of monks, uh, like forest monks, uh, they go to the forest and they meditate uh, and then they attain the jhanas. But many of them, uh, they don't study the suttas. Uh, so only this combination uh, of knowledge of the suttas uh, and the jhanas uh, can bring you out of samsara. So if you just study the suttas without attaining the jhanas, uh, you can be a stream enterer, but you cannot become an arahant. On the other hand, if you only attain the four jhanas uh, without studying the suttas, uh, then you can have psychic power, but you're also not an Arya. Okay. People always say that if you attain jhana, then you're renowned as Brahma. Then, because your life spent is so long, you would have missed the next Buddha. Uh, how does that Oh, that is uh, sour grapes. You know, people, you can't attain, you can't, cannot pluck the grape, uh, it must be sour. Uh, because uh, even, you see, like our Buddha, our Bodhisattva, when he was uh, a pupil of the Buddha, Kasapa, he renounced and practiced the Dhamma. And he was not reborn in the Brahma heavens, you know, he was born, reborn in the Dusita heaven. You are reborn in the jhana plains uh, if you absorb yourself in jhana day and night. But he probably had attained the first jhana, but he did not absorb himself in the jhana day and night. So even though he had attained the first jhana, he was reborn in Tusita heaven. And after he came down from Tusita heaven, also no dharma in the world. So even whether you you, you are reborn in the in this. Um, Brahma heavens or in the Tusita heaven, you come back still no Dhamma in the world. That's why now that we have the chance to hear the Dhamma, it's very important that we make use of it now. Don't think of future. You probably may not get a chance. Also, it is mentioned uh, in the uh, suttas uh, that the Buddha said, uh, people who are reborn in the jhana plains, uh, there are two types. One type, uh, they don't know the Dhamma. So because they don't know the Dhamma, after uh, they pass away from there, it is possible uh, that you still go to the woeful plains. But the Buddha said, uh, a disciple of his uh, who has learned the Dhamma, if you are reborn even in the jhana plains, uh, you have already become an Arya, you have attained stream entry, uh, you never fall into the woeful plains. So never mind, uh, slow boat. Never mind. Uh, slow boat out of samsara is still enjoyable and <laughs> suffering. We are only afraid of rebirth in the woeful plains. If you can re be reborn in the heavenly plains uh, forever and ever, why not? Isn't it? Nothing, nothing wrong to be reborn in the heavens. 
You know, any scared of being big one in the world for playing? Say, Sotapana, how do we know that the person has achieved that level? The Buddha said nah, that if a person has become a Sotapana, uh, he has unshakable faith in the Buddha, in the Dhamma, in the Sangha, and he has uh, Aryan Sila. Okay. Many years ago uh, in Penang, we had one lady, uh, people thought that she was an Anagamin. But after many years of meditation, uh, she just gave up Buddhism and changed her religion. It shows uh, that uh, even uh, stream entry she had not attained. Uh, so this is the first thing mentioned in the suttas. Uh. Second thing mentioned in the suttas uh, is that uh, if a person is a sotapanna, he has the vision of the Dhamma. Uh. He has seen the Dhamma. If a person has seen the Dhamma, then he sees uh, no security in this world. Uh, no security in this world. Even in the heavens also no security. Uh, so uh, then uh, he will understand uh, that the most precious thing in the world is the Dhamma and the most meaningful thing to do as a human being uh, is to practice the Dhamma. Uh, in which case, uh, he will turn away from worldly things. It's not like some Mahayana books say uh, that person is a great Bodhisattva uh, but he goes to the karaoke and he goes to the pub and all that uh, living like a lay person and yet uh, he's a great Bodhisattva. Not like that. Uh. Uh, once he has become an Arya, he will turn away from... Uh, he previously, uh, he liked to go to the races, uh, uh, go and enjoy worldly things. Uh. After he becomes an Arya, he will, his direction uh, is on the spiritual path. And then uh, he will, because he doesn't uh, join his friends in all this worldly entertainment, uh, his friends will, will think that uh, it's sort of gone funny. Uh. <laughs> And that's the price you have to pay. People think you're a bit funny. Okay, another thing I mentioned in the suttas, once a person has become a suttapanna, it is mentioned that he becomes independent of others in the Buddha's dispensation, in the Buddha's teachings. That's a very important statement. He becomes independent of others in the Buddha's teachings. In other words, he does not look for a teacher. Nowadays, I find a lot of people are chasing after Ho Liao Su uh, all over the world. Uh, you don't have to. Uh. The Buddha says, uh, after he has passed into Nibbana, take the Dhamma Vinaya as your teacher. And the Dhamma is defined as the suttas uh, in, the, in, in, the, in the Nikayas. Uh. So if you only take the trouble, uh, if you only take the trouble to really study the suttas, uh, you will see the Dhamma, the vision of the Dhamma. In which case, uh, you won't chase up the teachers anymore. You will know by yourself uh, the way out of samsara. You will practice according to the... All the Buddha's instructions are in the suttas. In fact, the Buddha's instructions in the suttas are, are so clear and so practical that you cannot find a better teacher than them. In fact, nowadays, uh, there are many teachers uh, who teach wrongly, probably because they are not so familiar with the suttas. And there's a lot of wrong teachings. I was told recently they had this Wachana conference. And Abhanteji, Abhante Gunaratana, he says there's a lot of wrong teachings being taught in Sunday school nowadays. 
A person who attains stream entry yeah, is a person who has attained right view. Once you attain right view, uh, you, and, uh, you are an Arya, one of the eight Aryas. Uh, and the way to attain right view uh, is mentioned in the suttas, in the Majjhima Nikaya 43. Uh, the Buddha said there are only two conditions to attain right view. And that is listening, uh, the exact words are uh, used by the Buddha. It's another's utterance. It's very... That's why people don't study the suttas. Huh? You don't catch the significance, you know. Another's utterance, you know. That means huh, you have to hear the Dhamma from outside huh, to attain right view. You cannot get right view huh, by practicing yourself. It is impossible. But nowadays, a lot of meditation teachers tell you huh, that the way to attain Sotapanna is by meditation. It's not by meditation. The Buddha says uh, another's utterance. You have to hear the Dhamma from somebody else. For example, from the Nikayas, when you study the Nikayas. That is the first condition. The second condition is Yoniso Manasikara. Simply translated, it is proper attention, thorough attention. So you pay thorough attention when you study the Nikayas or when you listen to the Dhamma talk. Then you can get right view. And once you get right view, you are an Arya. Another thing I like to mention here, a lot of people don't realize, is there's one sutta called the Sarakani Sutta. In this sutta, this Sakyan by the name of Sarakani, he passed away. And after he passed away, people asked the Buddha where he was reborn. And the Buddha said, Sarakani has become a Sotapanna. So he has gone for a good rebirth. But because at this Sarakani was a drinker, must have drank a lot. A lot of people disbelieved the Buddha. They were very angry. They say, ah, how can this drinker, Sarakani, be a Sotapanna? If he can be a Sotapanna, everybody can be a Sotapanna. Because they considered he had broken to be said. Then the, the word came back to the Buddha. You know what the Buddha said? He said, why should not Sarakani become a so the Panna, Buddha said, uh, the Sarakani uh, had followed the Dhamma for a long time, had learned the Dhamma for a long time. And then the Buddha said, what, well, you know, very surprisingly, the Buddha said, uh, look at these trees. These trees, uh, they could, if they can understand what I say, uh, even the trees can become Sotapanna. Ah, what is the significance here? The Buddha said, uh, if the trees can understand what I say, the Buddha didn't say, uh, if these trees can meditate, uh, they become a Sotapanna. The Buddha said, uh, if these trees can understand what I say. So the word, uh, the, 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 the word to catch here, uh, can understand what I say. So, it shows uh, the way to Sotapanna is listening to the Buddha's words, not meditation. If it is meditation, the Buddha would have said uh, so, right? But the Buddha said, uh, if they can understand what I say. If only we take the trouble uh, to study the suttas again and again. Of course, the first time you study it, uh, you might find it hard to understand. Initially, when I studied the suttas, I find many things I could not understand. But I kept studying it uh, again and again and again and again. And so many times, uh, that slowly things become clearer and clearer. It's just like a jigsaw puzzle. Uh, you put uh, a few pieces of the jigsaw puzzle, and uh, you cannot see the overall picture. Keep adding, 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 and very soon you can see the overall picture.
That's why uh, the Buddha calls his, his disciples as uh, sabakas, hearers, listeners. He didn't call them meditators or yogis. You know. Call them hearers. Uh, and also in the suttas, uh, it is mentioned, uh, the Buddha said, if you want to practice the noble eightfold path, uh, you must start with right view. Not start with meditation, you know, start with right view. And right view will bring you to right thoughts, and right thoughts will bring you to right speech, etc. We have to see that person, that particular person, how he can be helped. There are some people, if you give them the Dharma talk to listen, they might want to listen, but if they are not interested in the Dharma talk at all, then you can maybe do some, ask them to do some dana, some charity. If you represent them to do some charity, you must tell them. Not likely, uh, because uh, you cannot control your last thoughts. You know why? Because uh, the doctor, uh, after some time, will say this person is clinically dead. And he comes to that conclusion because you are no more breathing and your heart has stopped. Uh. But then, uh, if your body is still warm, uh, you are still not dead. And normally, a person's consciousness uh, will continue for a few hours. Uh, during that time, uh, when, when your consciousness is still flowing, uh, you are not conscious of the outside world. You are like dreaming. And those last thoughts, uh, you have no control at all. It depends on your everyday karma. If every day uh, you have been thinking good thoughts, uh, thinking lofty thoughts about the Dhamma and all that, and because of meditation, your mind is tranquil and all that, when you die, yeah, in those moments, uh, those thoughts will arise. But you are still always thinking of the share market and all that, uh, horses and racing and all that. Then when you are dying, uh, all those thoughts will arise. You know? So your everyday thoughts are very important. So that's why we have to practice the spiritual path uh, and keep have a lofty thoughts. You know? There's one lady told me the mother died of cancer. And at the moment of dying, uh, because the pain was quite intense, uh, her face uh, was contorted with pain. Uh, you could see uh, uh, she had a painful expression. But one hour later, uh, she found that the mother was smiling and very happy with a very bright face. Uh, and she had a good heart. Uh, she was thinking of good thoughts. Uh, mm. Yes, yes, you can ask him to let him go. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yes, but it's not 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 for sure that they will let go. And you know why they don't let go? Because of fear. Normally, the karma is no good. You see, who he had the liar. The ghost relatives coming and all that. Of course, they'll be scared. And some are even worse. They see hell. So there was a case many years ago, one of my old supporters, the husband, uh, 
was sick, very sick, and the doctor predicted that he would die in three months' time. But after that, he didn't die, and then continued to live on. And the old lady sent the daughter to call me and another mom to go to do some chanting. So when we went to the house, we saw him so thin, all bones and skin. And his mouth was open, could not even close his mouth, you know. And still he was clinging to life, because he didn't have enough good uh, karma. So we did some chanting for him, and after that we left. Within one or two minutes after we left, he passed away. So you see, when some people like that, they are afraid to go. And when they hear some monks chanting for them, they like have some reassurance. So then they let go. So it's not easy to let go. Not easy at all. That's why the Buddha said, when a person is dying, that person is afraid for a few reasons. One is because of the evil karma that person has done. Probably will be reborn in hell or in animal realm. Second one is not enough good marriage, not enough blessings, and that person will be reborn in the ghost realm. The reason is attachment, attachment to the property or the wife or the family. Another reason is not knowing the Dhamma. When you don't know the Dhamma, you don't know what's going to happen to you. If you know the Dhamma, you know for sure. These are the five places I can read, I can go to. So if you if you are a smart Buddhist, you aim your rocket in which direction you want to go. the same everyday thoughts. Even though they don't remember the Dhamma, on the conscious level, they may not remember the Dhamma, but in their deep consciousness, they would know. You see, like last night, in Natan Sumedho's talk, he mentioned something which struck me. very good. He said, Somebody asked him about this uh, anger and all that. And so he said, uh, mm, it mentioned one incident that he could not agree with a monk. And he had a lot of problem with this monk. And they sort of hated each other's guts, to be bluntly. So one day he, he had this uh, meeting of all this Ajancha. Uh, Monasteries, Western monks, and he knew that this monk was coming. So he was very agitated. I'm not going to meet this monk again in this meeting. And all that, all the anger, all the hatred came in, came up. So he decided not to go to his room and write down all the unpleasant things about this monk. And he wrote, and he wrote, he said, three, four pages. <laughs> All that uh, anger, resentment, everything, uh, all the what he calls a vitriolic, uh, all that. Uh. So 
he wrote, wrote, wrote until uh, he ran, ran out of things to write, you know. Trying to add one more thing, also cannot. Then he thought to himself, uh, then what else can I say about this? What, what else, how, what other feelings do I have of this monk? Then he realized uh, that it was metta, uh, loving kindness. Uh. Uh, so uh, below all our conscious thoughts are actually yeah, like this meta is natural to us this loving kindness is natural to all of us you see like Mother Teresa uh, even though she doubted that God existed uh, she did all this work uh, for all the poor people not because of God but because it was natural to her uh, to love others uh, and to, to, to help others so actually this basic feeling in us uh, is there but the anger and all that uh, arises out of conditions uh, because uh, of uh, ill-spoken words and all this thing, uh, then that anger suddenly arises. But actually underneath it uh, is this loving kindness towards all beings. So we must not only focus on the what is thrown up in our mind, uh, uh, what is basic underneath is there. So in the same way, like if a person is dying, uh, he might have amnesia and all that. Uh, but that basic state of that mind uh, is a good mind, it's a good heart. Uh, that is what will bring you to a good rebirth. All of us, uh, we have a conscience. Uh, if only we listen to our conscience, just keep quiet and listen to our heart. But all of us, uh, we, 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 we take our thoughts too seriously. These thoughts, uh, our thoughts are actually arise out of uh, the ego, selfishness, and we want to protect ourselves. So this thinking mind uh, is our best uh, self-defense system. Uh, but uh, it is uh, not uh, lofty. Uh, it is a uh, calculating mind, a cunning mind. Uh, but underneath that uh, is this what we need to look for. Uh, so we need to listen to our conscience more, uh, listen to ourselves. Like uh, praying, uh, last time I, I used to, I came from a Catholic school, so during recess time, I used to go to the chapel and pray. <laughs> and we pray very deeply. And actually, what are we calling out to? Who are we praying to? Actually, we are going deep into our mind. We are calling out to our mind deep inside us. And the one that answers us are also deep inside us. <laughs> okay. And yeah.